Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, welcome back to the Cowboy Stories. The sponsors for today's episode are the Gable L Ranch. They raise purebred Angus cattle and you can check out their website at gablelranch.com to see what they have to offer for sale right now. And our other sponsor is the Flying UW Ranch. We're proud to have them as a sponsor as well. If any of you are interested in becoming a sponsor for the show, please send me an email. My email is cowboystoriespodcast at gmail.com. And like always, to put a face to the name with who we are talking to, you can check out our Instagram page. It's at cowboystories underscore podcast. But with that being said, let's dive into today's episode. I had the opportunity to sit down and visit with Walt and Francie Meyer. They are from Southern Arizona and they have a neat story that I'm excited to share with you all. Two of their daughters, Jenny and Katie, actually help run the ranch now. Um, We all sat down together at the same time. It was Walt and Francie, Jenny, Katie, one of the son-in-laws, and some of their grandchildren. So if you hear multiple people talking as we go throughout this episode, that's why. But they made me feel right at home, and I'm grateful that they agreed to sit down and visit with me. So here we go. Let's dive right in. To start these things off, I usually just like to have people talk a little bit about how they got to where they are today. So, like, how your family ended up in Arizona. I was born here. I raised in this house. And I followed along behind my dad and all of the hired men on the back of the saddle. And that's the way I got here. How'd your family get to Arizona? Hell, I don't know. Walked, I guess. (laughs) My grandfather came here in 1875, so I don't have any idea. That was pre-me. To here? To this? Not to this house, but to this place. That's cool. He was a miner. He was scattered all over the damn country. The first time in Arizona was at Pierce. He brought his family to Pierce in 1901 or something like that. And then they came here, I don't know what... From Kansas. From Kansas, so... I don't... That's about all I can say about him. I didn't know him. Yeah. So as far as the history of of the ranch, like how long has it been in the family or how long... Who was the first person to actually come here and run cows? My grandfather... uh, My dad was probably the first guy that ran cows, but my grandfather got the 
But he get the U the Cross W brand from a guy down on the river. My dad had the 2MS brand whenever he's in Pierce, so he brought those cattle over here. So I I can't tell you what the real history on that is. Yeah. Okay. It was pre me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So growing up, was this something that you always thought you wanted to do? Yeah, I wanted to be a Marine Corps fighter pilot. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that didn't work out. <laughs> Why not? Well, too many other things went on. And anyway, my dad died when I was 16, and I had to come home and take care of things and be a ranch hand. Do you have any siblings that also helped out with that? I have a sister someplace. I don't know where she is. So that's about as far as that went. My, I got a good wife and four good daughters that take care of stuff. He was very, in, they were all very closely involved with all, everything from the time they were really little. You know, they, his dad had a lot of horses. And this was before the country was even fenced. The country wasn't even fenced, so there were a lot of neighbors that had cattle, and, and there were quite a few adventures with neighbors' cattle and horses and all that stuff that went on when he was a boy. That He's told us a lot of stories about, Yeah. but for some reason he's being a little reluctant right now. Like I said, I followed my dad and hired men around on the back of the saddle. We went every place. We rode down to the river. Then when we got old enough to have our own horses, well, we rode, went every place all over the country. The, this place was finally fenced in 46, I think it was, was the last fence that was put in. Maybe it was 52. But before that, we just rode horseback every place and worked. And usually had a community get-togethers where us kids got to hold the cattle together and the Ranch hands or Walter, my dad would go rope calves out and then they'd range brand them. So that was, we got to participate in all of that stuff. It's totally different than what it is today. It's a lot more boring. Well, yeah, as soon as they put the fences in, we got to learn to dig post holes. <laughs> <laughs> you spent a lot less time holding up cows and more time digging holes. Yeah. Well, I wanted one of the things I do remember about holding up cows whenever I was a kid. I wanted to be a bull rider, and my dad told me I wasn't going to go to any rodeo and get thrown off. So I had to ride every bull calf that they turned up. And that was good for a little while, but when they started turning them up on the range, you <laughs> go out across and sure had soft spots to land. <laughs> Get away with your yen to be a bull. Yeah, that didn't ride last very long. <laughs> didn't last very long being a bronc rider either. <laughs> Water was so critical out here. He tells a lot of stories about, <clears throat> and that was before the country was fenced, and everybody with the little tiny homestead had as many cattle as they could put on to. So hordes of cattle would come into one water and, was hard to pump water. Talk about that. Well, this place, this well wasn't good, so like they'd hold the cattle up, and they'd take, get the cattle going, and we'd drive them over to what we call Rabbit on the Hayden Ranch, which we still own. And anyway, uh, so they'd get them 
going about halfway and they'd leave my sister and I to take care of them and drive them on in. And, and, and we, they were four and six years old. And we'd get over there and my aunt would be pumping water over there. So she'd take care of us and we'd have to eat mushroom soup for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, uh, then she'd unsaddle our horses and take care of us and until evening time. And if nobody came to pick us up, we walked to the Hayden Ranch. Stepping on stink bugs to keep us busy, I guess. But that was part of it. That's how we learned to learn cattle work. Do you remember how old you were the first time you went? Or do you just remember going all the time? I remember going all of the time. Once in a while when we, they were pumping water someplace or doing something, we were riding behind them. They let us off at a mesquite tree to spend the afternoon while they went on and took care but that's that's all I ever remember we went with them every place they went Doesn't, didn't matter what age you were oh Jesus was one of the hired men that we had here hell sometimes he'd pull us in a wagon until his damn horse started bucking <laughs> so that was just kind of the way we grew up we were involved with everything my dad was a hell of a good blacksmith, so I got to crank the goddamn forge all of the time. And I remember one time I got real <laughs> upset about it, and I threw a bone in the fire. And boy, he got on me really good. But my dad could do anything he wanted in a damn forge. I don't know how in the hell he... And his dad was a good blacksmith, evidently, so... Did you pick up on any of that? All I learned was to... Braze weld in a or braze in a forge. I didn't ever learn to forge weld. But he's an excellent metal worker. Otherwise, he just regrets that he didn't pay better attention to his dad and learn to weld in the forge. I could. But otherwise, he's a great welder. I learned to temper and I, the temperature of the different colors of iron. Whenever, like the peacock and so on and so forth, all of those. I can't remember that stuff now, but. I did then. I had to. My dad would have skinned me if I didn't. <laughs> but we sharpened crowbar, crowbars and picks and just did everything. Do you remember the first time you were sent out by yourself to go gather a bunch of cows? Uh, no, I don't remember. Only thing I do remember is one time... We were working up to the Hayden Ranch. When I, this is after my dad was dead, and we were trying to gather this pasture, and ended up everybody ended up having to rope something. And I thought, God, I don't want to do that. And this old Mexican cowboy came by me. Joe Reese came by, and he says, "Get you one." So I finally got one. Are you on ginger? Yeah. He says, "I'll help you. You get one." So I got one, and hell, he disappeared. <laughs> I finally got the damn thing to the corral and he was waiting there for me and I, he healed an animal and got my rope off and he says go get you another one I says hell Joe I thought you were going to help me he says I did I got your rope off <laughs> <laughs> so that was a kind of a fun experience I enjoyed working with him and Ramon which one was it Joe, Joe Reese worked for the Willow Springs and Ramon worked for my aunt 
A lot of the roping and cowboying he learned after his dad died with a bunch of neighbor cowboys and stuff. So he's got a lot of good stories with people like Jesus and Ramon. Was it Jesus and the Choya? No, Ramon. Ramon? We're repping for Willow Springs over on Dad Foreman's place one time. And anyway, the cattle were wilder than hell. These and guys so, were real cowboys. And they... You know, I kept telling them, boy, you're a cowboy. And they'd say, oh, we, I wouldn't make a pimple on a cowboy's ass. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Ramon and I were paired up this day, and it rained the night before, and so we were tracking this cow, and, or whatever the hell it was. And Anyway, he took off after it. We jumped it, and he took off after it and roped it, and he started hollering, heal it, heal it. And I got there, and... Somewhere along the line, he had raised up, and a big old white choy had landed in the seat of his saddle, and he flopped his butt back down on it. Oh. So anyway, we <laughs> healed it and got the set. He needed it healed quick. <laughs> yeah. Got it healed and sidelined, and then we spent the rest of the days picking choys out of his butt. <laughs> but, but that was, they were the fun kind of guys. There was another episode with Ramon up on the Hayden Ranch. This old Arnold Evidente was a Florence wino. He is a good cowboy. <laughs> but anyway, he and I had supposed to be gathering this one piece of country, and we kept running across this mean bull, and we didn't want anything to do with him. So we told Ramon about it, and he says, Well, goddamn, this, you chickens. Holding it in now, huh? Yeah, anyway. <laughs> says, you send that bull down here, and I'll get him going down the trail, and I'll sit down here, and I'll rope him when I go by, when he goes by. So we got the bull fired up good, and we sent him down the trail. and Through the brush. Through the brush, and Ramon roped him. And then pretty soon you hear, heal him, heal him. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we healed him. That bull had big old long sharp horns on him, but... Well, didn't you say he had himself in a little clearing? Yeah, he did. And he didn't know he the didn't bull was see, as big as he was. He didn't know what was coming out. He roped the damn thing before he... I mean, he just threw his rope and, of course, got it. <laughs> Those guys were... They're cowboys. They were really good. I I was always thought... They were cowmen. They, they could read an animal just by looking at it. They were the kind of guys you could ride with, and they said, that, cow's, that calf's got worms. See how it's flipping its ears? Or that cow's got something wrong with her. See how she's acting? They could tell the brands, I don't know, a long ways away. They were good. I was lucky. Got to be around those guys. So are those two of the guys that you'd say you learned the most from? Yes. I had to. They... Wouldn't have put up with me if they didn't. <laughs> they put me in a lot of positions that were probably pretty spooky. But it was fun. I enjoyed it. I had a, She mentioned Ginger. Ginger was a Crimea. He was still alive when we got married. So and, I, I remember, I actually got to ride Ginger. And anyway, he is, a kind of, he is an old-time horse. And if you didn't pay attention to him all day long, he is going to buck with you. And it didn't matter what time of the day it was. Sometime of day, during the day, he's going to give you a ride. And I was a 50% cowboy. I fell off 50% of the time and rode 50%. <laughs> anyway, 
one morning we were over to the XT over there working and go, getting ready to ride down to another pasture and it was day before daybreak. Old Ginger decided he's going to have a good go of it. So he bucked and bawled and went around and around. I was able to hang on that time. Anyway, we finally got to this gate and the old guy that was working the ranch. Glenn Moody. Glenn Moody says, by God, it takes a good horse to get your pump started in a good ride to get your pump started in the morning, doesn't it? And I was like, God, yeah. <laughs> Was he the lipstick horse? Mm -mm. The one that only someone with lipstick. No, that was could... ribbon. No, that was but, uh, Paul? peanut. Oh, peanut. <laughs> oh, peanut. That son of a bitch. His sister, <laughs> his sister was old, uh, two years older than him. Uh huh. And they all had their horses, you know, and she had hers. That peanut. Tell him about peanut. Well, we had him over to what we call Whitehead. Overnight, but peanut was her horse. Right? It was her horse, and so I was supposed to ride him up to with Cotton Evans, our hired man. Supposed to ride him up to Rabbit when they were going to have a gather, and which is like three quarters of a mile away. Was, yeah, that damn far. horse threw me off nine times before I ever got there. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so I, the Cotton says, "You might as well lead the son of a bitch." And so we finally got to Rabbit and told Ramon about it, and he said, "Ah, oh, you damn dudes." So he saddled Peanut. We made a round, and we never saw Ramon for the rest of the day. And anyway, we got to the Hayden Ranch, and he says, you know, you have to have lipstick and perfume to ride this. He's a woman's horse. He was alive, too, whenever he was married. Peanut was something else. He didn't like horses for a long time. I mean, he did. But he hated them, too, because his dad was an absolute horse lover. And they had, like, 35 mares or something like that when his dad died. Oh, and wow. Two different studs that would run in two different bands. And he said they would come in to water at the same time. And if the fights they'd have and a horse would end up upside down in the water trough. And, and he said they didn't even own a damn wheelbarrow to feed the damn things. <laughs> so he got he was so sick of dragging bales of hay up into the corral and going down and driving horses to water. And I never figured out why they had to do that. Horses are pretty smart to come to water themselves. But that's what his dad liked to do. In fact, years and years later, because um, I, I never met his dad, but I heard all these stories. Um, I... And I heard a lot of the names of the horses in the stories. I was up here at one of our sheds up here, and one of them's kind of a part of an old tank that's cut for a shed. And on the outside, the sun was shining just right, and I saw where his dad had written the names of these horses, probably as they were coming into water, and they're all listed right there on the side. He was probably that's sitting cool. here watching them come up the sand wash, counting them to make sure all of his beloved horses were coming in. And so, that's still there. Yeah, as like far as I know. That's cool. All in pencil on the side of that. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that's neat. Mm -hmm. But he said they sold how many when his dad died? We sold something like 30 head of horses. They went to California and the check bounced. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to get a lawyer to get take that, care of that. Gosh. Did he like any particular breed or did he just... Uh, I always loved the horses that we had. No, your dad. 
What about your dad? Did he? He likes steel dust. Hmm. But I don't know. I, I couldn't have told a steel dust from a anything else. Sawdust. <laughs> he loves lemon <laughs> seals too. The color. The color. It's like a. Do you know what a lemon seal is? Mm-mm. That's kind of like a a dun, isn't it, with the stripes on the legs? Yellowish dun. Yeah. In fact. That old horse right there is Dunny. That's his dad on it. Oh, okay. And that was my horse as a little kid. He taught me more than it, my dad did. But I could ride by a saguaro when I was a kid and reach in a, a bird hole to get little birds. You'd stand, stand on the saddle, wouldn't you? Uh-huh. Can you imagine turning a four- and a six-year-old on their own horses loose to drive cattle? Well, would you get them past James? Would you get yes. Them, your parents would get them past... Because they were... Trying to drive cattle away from water where they and to water, because there were so many cattle jammed up in one water, it wasn't adequate. You know, because yeah. there were there was no regulating this on the range, and so they'd have the kids get the cattle started, and or they'd start them and then turn them over to the kids and leaving the little kids to drive them the rest of the way. He said it was easy because the cows knew exactly what was going on, but still. Well, you ask about getting turned loose by yourself. Well, I guess that was where we started getting turned loose by ourselves is to drive cattle. I just can hardly imagine it, you know. And if you got to showing off too much, you'd be able to fall off your horse and have a hell of a time getting back on. <laughs> How many times did you fall off before you decided it wasn't worth it to mess I around? I have no idea. I've, <laughs> I've fallen off a lot of horses. Last one bungered him up pretty good. Too. Yeah. Oh, uh, he's paying the price now. Uh, what was her name? Rosie. 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 Uh, I was getting on her and she threw me off as I was getting on. Broke his shoulder. Broke oh. my collarbone. Recently? No, that no. was 2009. I don't ride much anymore. We got a mare up there that I do get to ride once in a while. Eek. She's so damn tall, you have to stick your tongue out to get on her. <laughs> but the girls do most all of the work. The girls and the granddaughters. We just tag along. Help where we can. Very proud of my family. He's got lots of stories. They're just not all coming up right yet. Yeah, that's okay. Tell him about when we got Eek back and what we did at Lammy Camp. <laughs> oh, yeah, that wasn't not long ago. <laughs> it was three, four years ago. Well, I kind of adopted Eek as my horse because I liked her. She's named Eek because she's got the EK brand on her. Oh, okay. And she belongs to Kate. But anyway, we were trying to move some cattle out of that weren't ours off of the, the our west side over there. And there was this old damn old cow that wouldn't do anything, so I roped her on Eek. Three-year-old mare with seventy-seven year old man on it. But she did good. You did good. I did worse than you did. <laughs> I was having more trouble than you. She was on Rosie. I stayed home that day. I don't know why, but he came home. I said, "Well, what went on today?" Well, I roped. Will Springs cow. I said, oh, yeah. You know, I knew he rode this three-year-old. No, I really did. <laughs> he said. <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah, that yeah. was. Your age. Uh, another funny story is that, we, that 
The neighbor to the west of us is also the Willow Springs. It's 96, so old 96 Ranch. And Patsy Hayden, would, his cattle would get over on that sometimes, and we'd have to go over and get them. And I always thought it was polite to call and get permission. Well, they had a guy from, where was he? Uh, New Zealand. New Zealand as a manager, and I asked him permission to go in there, and he says, no, you, I'm not going to give you any permission. I said, well, we're going to go in anyway. Well, so, you wouldn't get him back. Yeah. Yeah, and anyway, so he says, oh, if you see any of our cows over there, get them for us, okay? <laughs> so, okay, we'll get them for you. So I told Joe Reese, the guy that was working with us over there. That was Joe Martinez. Joe, Joe Martinez, excuse me, Joe Martinez, and Anyway, I told him about it. So we got our stuff, and all of us were gathered around. We had one cow tied down. We were all together. Tied, me, the girls. Tied down in the middle of the road when horseback. Guy Hill came down the hill. Anyway, they come up to this cow and saw her in the middle of the road with their trailer and stopped and all got out. And so we slowly came out of the brush and said hi to him and anyway I, Guy Hill was there we had some had some problems with Guy Hill in the past we all thought he was dead we knew his son was managing that, that ranch at the time and we were trying to sneak over there to get Patsy's cattle out of there see so they had this big old cow tied down in the middle of the road fat cow we, we thought oh crap here comes this truck and trailer rattling down off the hill. Oh man, what are we going to do? So everybody kind of faded into the brush. And they come out and they stop and look, huh? Get like, out, look around, kick the dirt. Pretty soon Nick comes out and pretty soon Joe comes out and pretty soon all these kids come out. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, my God, guy, we thought you were dead. He said, no. <laughs> but anyway, the Best part of the story was that we went ahead and made the rounds. We got that cow back through the fence. And, and some others. And got some other ones at Patsy's home. And anyway, we were making the rounds to see if there was anything else. And I told Joe about this damn guy, New Zealand guy, wanting us to catch anything of theirs. That and he says, oh, good. So we ran across <laughs> several black animals of theirs. And he cut a little slit in, or we cut a little slit in their ears, and he had surveyor's tape. And so, pink ribbon. Yeah. So we had run that pink ribbon through their ear, and they had <laughs> We caught them all right. That was all Joe's doing. <laughs> we might have helped. But the, the girl, two girls were in on that. I missed that one. I just got to hear about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, that was fun. Was, Jesus Christ, Joe, what are you doing? We caught them. Got them for them. Uh, that paints a good picture. <laughs> These girls never had... They were pretty big girls whenever they first started really getting experience with that kind of stuff. Because mm -hmm. we, we've been pretty poor a lot of our life. And there was a point... He had, he had some horses... Some Appaloosas, an old Appaloosa stud and a mare, and then a I think there were three of those old, old ranch horses that were retired on this place whenever we got married. Mm -hmm. And then I brought a horse, and there was a time when uh, something was 
always wrong with one of them, you know, and we had to resurrect those old horses that were retired. They hadn't been even ridden for, they were real cow horses, but they hadn't even been ridden for like five years. They'd been just out on the range. And yeah. this was before we were married, actually. But So we were pretty actually horse poor, not not like you usually know, know yeah. the term horse poor. So, but we got an opportunity to buy three young mares for fifteen hundred dollars, and and uh, we bought those mares, and those were our girls' first real horses, and that's when they first started really doing stuff. Yeah, that's where cool. they really had freedom to go anywhere they wanted and do things, and yeah, you know. well, it was usually neighbors' cattle that they got the experiences because our cattle are gentle; they're real gentle, and we can trap them and do stuff, you know. And, yeah. But the, a lot of the neighbors' cattle are not so nice, and when they would get on us, that's when the girls got experience with not so nice cattle. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, Kate. One time down on the north end of the ranch up here, we had a neighbor's bunch of neighbors' cattle up there, down there. And anyway, she went chasing one to rope it. And she the calf went through a bunch of mesquite brush. Kate's horse went through a bunch of mesquite brush. Kate stayed on top of the mesquite brush. <laughs> Her horse came out without it. Yeah. <laughs> and they got jerked back into the tree. Uh, we thought it hit the ground hard. I just imagine. Just had them tangle myself. Yeah. <laughs> and then Jenny was chasing one and went off the hill. And I would have never ridden a horse off of that damn hill. I made it. Uh, but no, the, the girls didn't get to participate very much. Whenever they're little, not like these grandkids. Not in wild cowboy, and they participated in everything we did, though, because we timed their birth around ranch events. I mean, there were no accidents about these, <laughs> you know, because we. Yeah. It's so far to get to the doctor or hospital on dirt roads, you know. So we, we tried to make sure our kids were born at a time when we could get out of here, yeah. or when we weren't too busy. So. Or there were no bad monsoon rains or something like that. So, And they went with us everywhere at the place. I mean, we didn't have babysitters, so we did everything together. So they've been going since they were born. That's cool. So that's why they know all the things around here is because they participated in it. They've been hands-on. Mm-hmm. They understand the life. They must want it because they all came back. <laughs> yeah. And we were lucky that my aunt's place, my my aunt's place was run by my aunt and my da- my dad for a number of years, and then in '45 something went on. I don't know what it was. So they de- decided to divide the places up, and so I did a lot of work for Lottie and Patsy up there, and really didn't get paid very much, but. In the end, I, we got the place. We were given the place so that it's still in the family. That place was started by Lottie's husband in 1897. He was an Englishman. from. He was born in India. And anyway, I don't know how he ended up there, but he did. He was a rough rider. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, he enlisted... Under Bucky O'Neill in Prescott and fought in Cuba as a rough rider. Wow. 
In fact, one of the brands that Patsy had, Patsy, you hear us talk about Patsy. Uh-huh. Patsy was his first cousin. Okay. Out of Lottie, who was his dad's sister. Okay. She never married, and she kept the Hayden Ranch all those years, and then we helped her out all these years, and then when she died, we got... She is a good cowboy. But the story goes... She was a good lady. She was a good lady. Yes, she was. Anyway, um, we were her family, you know. I mean, she was a grandmother to our kids. She really was. But anyway, she... uh, when the story goes that one of the brands that is on the Hayden Ranch right now, and we've tried to keep the brands that were always there distinct from the brands here. So we run it together, but we're they're two separate ranches too. Mm-hmm. See what I mean? Yeah. But one of those brands we call the My Cross, the story goes that that brand, Roy Hayden, who was Lottie's husband, Patsy's dad, when he went and trained in uh, Texas before they went to Cuba... He rode a horse that had the Mycross brand on it. And so when he got back to Arizona, he registered that brand. Now, that's the story. I don't know if it's true. It's a really neat brand. It really is. It's an M-Y cross. Oh, cool. Uh-huh. But they hang, hung on to that ranch all those years. And even though he died when Patsy was just a little girl. And... uh then we're lucky we have it now. Jenny and Michael live up there with their family, and Katie and Sarah live down here. But they share work. Share work, yeah. Everybody wants us to turn to black cattle, but we like our Herefords, and it's kept us in the business all these years, so why yeah. change? How many can you guys run on the two places? We're down in numbers right now because of the drought, but... But combined, it's probably about 350, but we've cut back quite a bit over the last year because yeah. had a bad feeling about this winter and last summer, so we took advantage of last winter's good feed to get rid of a bunch of stuff, so yeah. And this year, out. This year, we shipped early. We usually sell at Clovis, New Mexico, and as soon as those calves got over, they hit that damn snowstorm. snowstorm. So I, I might, have no idea how things go straight from here to a snowstorm yeah well that horrible the ice, that the ice storm. yeah yeah that's one of the things that's changed in my lifetime is everything was this local whenever i was a little kid you have the buyers come here and give you upfront money and then screw you out of the bunch of money whenever the use mm-hmm. so now then we started selling at the auction in phoenix and tucson and then we finally just uh, the hell with it, and we've spread out now. We go to New Mexico and do business there, Texas, and do business there. It's just amazing to me how you spread out and you, your home range increases all of the time. Really? Yeah. It's, so he's seen it from the time. I guess they were probably still driving cattle to to Hayden to ship when you were a little boy. When I was a baby, yes. Mm-hmm. Well. The last time my folks drove, my my mom and dad were married, and Anne was a baby, I think, So, and she's quite a bit younger than you. So anyway, they would drive their cattle to the railroad in Hayden. Mm-hmm. So he's seen that all the way to our shipping clear to New Mexico and feeding out in you know a big far cry of how the business has changed. One thing she likes about it is we get two paychecks. Yeah. One for the sale at Clovis and one for the sale of 
at Hereford. Steers. So that's it's a totally different environment than what we were brought up in or what I was brought in. Would you say that it has changed for the better or the worse? Yeah. <laughs> Politically, it's the worst, I think. But otherwise, it's better, I think. I think we've, we're doing better than, at least we're hanging in there. Yeah. If we would have still been selling to these goddamn buyers that come out and give you a little upfront money and screw you out of the rest of it, we wouldn't have been here. The whole thing, I think, is that and it took a lot of guts, believe it or not, to change the way we sell our cattle. I bet. It took a lot of guts. It was a very, a set of circumstances that allowed us to do this, that we jumped into it. And um, it was scary to change. But we found out we can do different things. We found out there are other options for us other than what we'd always done. And it, it's paid off. At least we think it has. Yeah. So. See, back in nineteen in the sixties, we had what we called the Arizona Beef Improvement Association, and the registered breeders would take their bulls and they'd gains test them and do all of this back, do all of the sonics on the ribeye area and stuff like that. So we always bought good bulls out of that, and whenever that. This continued, and we started going to Tucumcari to buy good bulls. The girls bought bulls two places in New Mexico, and one in Nebraska. Is that right? They're both in Nervisa. Pardon? Nervisa by uh, what's across Dalhart's across Dalhart. the border. We try to have good cattle. Tucumcari and Dalhart. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, we buy good quality Herefords that have proven backgrounds. A lot of these people. This is one thing I got out of my education is that that what a lot of people say the gain that they make in a feedlot isn't the same as the gain that they get out here on the rangeland. Well, a lot of us OFARCs think that if they can gain that in a feedlot, they're going to gain out here eating on this stuff. That potential is still there, so that animal is going to gain on better than just any old cull animal. They're going to use that genetics to so we really concentrated on the genetics on these cattle on both places so i think that's one of the things that's really changed for the better we used to have an old cow that ran down below down here we called her camel she'd come up once a week for a drink of water for a drink of water <laughs> once a week okay. yeah once a week <laughs> And she have a calf every year, and she was as skinny as a damn rail. <laughs> so, but she is a good cow. We still have a few of those. <laughs> Just like <laughs> probably drove by them on the way in. So yeah. They're in the babysitter pasture. But I don't know. So the breeding and and we we maintain a real the girls do anyway a real sharp eye on uh, condition. We don't try to condition score the animals, but if the condition, if a cow goes through this drought in good condition, she's a keeper. She has a good calf. Yeah. And another thing is we like the cattle so that when I grew up, you didn't walk in the corral without being close to the fence. 
<laughs> Boy, we they had some. My dad had some cows that would char charge you just for the fun of it, seeing you run. <laughs> now we like to have our cows so that brother can get in the corral and they won't. They just look at him. We got a bull up. Or Sarah Audrey's got a bull up there. She calls Monkey, <laughs> and she that bull will come look her up, and they just have a love affair on. <laughs> so she's one of the ones we bought in New Mexico. Oh, okay. And he picked her right out. Really? Right. He did. It's, the a, crowd, it's the weirdest thing. It was uh -huh. funny, too, because we didn't go. The girls all went. You know, we didn't go. We, but that was online, and we could listen when they were bidding. And they had a certain budget that they could spend on bulls. So day. you were watching to make we sure they stayed in their budget. <laughs> all about monkey. They uh -huh. sent pictures back with Audrey loving that bull up in the... And, they, bowls. and he was way <laughs> down on the list to go through the sale. And um, I think he was the last we got. I he was the last one you bought, but he was right near the end of the sale. And, and I we were thinking they're going to go over their budget, and they're going to go over <laughs> their budget. Yeah, and we're they're not going to be able to. Okay, they bought that bull. I knew their their number, their number, and I knew when when they'd call it out. Okay when they'd bought a bull and how much it went for. I was keeping track, and we knew how much that money they had. And so we were sitting here at the computer listening, 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 and, and we knew they had a little bit of money left, and Monkey hadn't come up yet. We knew his number, and pretty soon all the bidding going on, and we thought, oh, God, you're going to be lucky to get him. But by God, they got him. <laughs> Under budget. Under nice, budget. Nice. You brought nice. money home, so it was <laughs> really nice. Like, we could have got another bull. Both times. <laughs> that was fun, though. I thought that was kind of exciting, actually. Well, that's, yeah. that's what's neat about the ranch now, is that the whole family participates. And we get to be part, part of it. And they get... The kids have their own brands, too. I'm not talking about kids, about Jenny and Kate right now. Uh -huh. Of course, they have their own. They start. They started getting their own brands when they were little girls because they would buy baby calves at the auction and raise them. Oh, they had, or what's them. his name, brought them for them. They'd feed them before they'd okay. go to school and take care of them. And we're the kind of parents that didn't want the kids. We didn't want to get the checks and divvy their money out to them. We figured yeah. if they would put the money, the work out to raise calves, when they sold them, they needed to get their own check. So we made sure they had brands. Most of the brands that they had, the girls got, were old brands that came from family up in the White Mountains that were given up. That's cool. Jenny's was one we made up. Hers is Jam. Jam. <laughs> so they, but Sarah and Audrey have their own brands too, and they, and brothers got a brand, so... They get a calf once in a while. They'll raise leppies or something, so they have their own brands. So it gives That's them, cool. you know, ownership in what they do and incentive to do well. Yeah. And besides that, they have to go feed the damn calf mm -hmm. on the bottle. <laughs> yeah. I One story that I thought was funny, it was to me, I was raised on a ranch, too, across the river. Okay. And we had real nice gentle cattle. It was rough country. It's like all those mountains, Table Mountain and all that was on our ranch in the Aravipa. And I was, I participated. I was a, I was a one that loved to help my dad and uncle. Mm -hmm. So I grew up doing this kind of stuff. But we had gentle cattle. I had never had to deal with stupid cattle, you know. <laughs> but... And we did everything, we didn't trap our cattle, we did everything horseback. But it was pretty easy because they were 
good handling cattle. Well, when I met him, he had a little bunch of registered cows that were gentle as a dog, but I've never seen anybody do with cows like he had. Never. I mean, I was aghast. His, his little herd of registered cows up there, he didn't rope them to see what their numbers were or anything because they were all tattooed in their ears. They all had, were horned. He would walk up and grab them by the horn, and of course the cows would go round and around, and he'd have his feet planted on it like <laughs> dust going. They'd be dragging him along pretty soon. They'd just stop, and he'd look in their ear and get their numbers so we could get, <laughs> you know, write it all down. I had never seen anything like that in my life. But of course, that's a commonplace thing now, but that uh, was different. <laughs> Something Funny. you adapt to. Yeah. <laughs> They were cute, really cute cattle. So you kind of knew the lifestyle that you were marrying into. You were very aware of how it worked and what well what it entailed. I knew about the ranch and I knew but we, we had a different type of life than I got here. I mean it was a little more primitive. You can look at this old house and see how, that we've lived pretty primitive all these years. But um we had power. I grew up with power and the creek the Running creek, you know, permanent running creek and water and the farm and all that stuff. And so it was a big, pretty big change. But, but yes, I, I kind of understood the ranch life. And we worked at it together, so. And we were fortunate to end up with it. Yeah, we were the ones that were fortunate. But we've had some rough times, you know, some hard times. But I'm so glad we held, held on. So. We, we I bet your done. girls are too. <laughs> I think they are. I think they are. And I think they are because they're able to raise their kids here. Well, I'm proud of my grandkids. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they do this the same as a good old guy can. We still can bake though. <laughs> Whenever I would be away, which wasn't often, or sick, or something, and he'd have to pick, do something, you know, to put food together for the girls. It had to start with leftover beans, and then anything else that was in the refrigerator went into it. So they all named it leftover garbage. <laughs> That's what they ate. All of it's it. better than mom's canned shrimp. Oh come on! <laughs> and her lamb chops. Yeah, old cowboys don't usually like. Goat or sheep meat. <laughs> well, he'd been gone, and I had seen these beautiful, what I thought were lamb chops at the store, and I bought them, brought them home. The girls were pretty young, and I cooked dinner, and I sat them down to eat before he got home, and I, I didn't know why they were Not taking eating. so long to eat. <laughs> Their noses. But whenever he got home, he took a bite of this big, beautiful pork chop. He says, God damn, this meat is bad. <laughs> and he got mad at me, cussed me out. He was all ready for a big juicy pork chop, and it was mutton. It was mutton is what it was. <laughs> she gets her revenge somehow. <laughs> why I got in trouble for that. I mean, we're supposed to... She was afraid I wouldn't eat it if she told me it was mutton. And this uh, can 
and shrimp be on my my cousin that's kind of a hippie. She gave me this big one. Everybody thought it was five gallons. After, but it was a big old gallon can of canned shrimp. Little shrimp. Cocktail shrimp. I'm telling you, yeah. I we have to use and this. And it has the tomato sauce. Oh. We have to oh. use this, and I tried every way in the world. <laughs> the girls were listening, they'll never forget that. I'll never live it down. It was disgusting. <laughs> it was bad. She didn't eat shrimp until she was 35. They <laughs> all remember. The girls were raised, we there were certain things we would put up with, and certain things we wouldn't. So. Yeah. But we were very lucky to live out away from people. Could you imagine four girls in this little house? <laughs> Thank God we had the big outdoors. Mm-hmm. We usually have a big garden. We haven't in the last couple of years. It's so dry. but And he's ha- spent so much time on education and helping helping others. He was um, chairman of our local conservation district for many years. And he's also worked for the U of A. So he's done a lot of report writing and... She typed my dissertation several times, many times, I think. And anyway, I'd sent it in, and Lamar and Phil and them, they'd bleed on one page and then turn six or seven pages, bleed on another page. They're red marks, you know what he means. Mm -hmm. And anyway, I told her, those sons of bitches aren't even reading this. They're just bleeding on this, that, and another page. So I had three soil series, and they're named Shrap. And so I told her, type in there, crap one, crap no, two. No, shit one, shit. Instead of shrap, <laughs> write shit one, shit two. I, and I said, you're going to get kicked out. You do it, he says, do it. I did it. And not one of them red marked it. They never saw Are it. you serious? <laughs> no. So a lot of time, this, this ranch has... Um, some things have been, not been maintained the way they should because we've spent a lot of time on education and a lot of time on community service, actually. You know, so well, it, the girls are well, catching up on that school, now. You guys spend a lot of time. Well, the girls were in the Marine Corps Junior ROTC program, so we were mom and dad for the did a lot of travel. But we hung on, and they're getting to do the maintenance now. Yeah. <laughs> But we did keep our cows. But kept our cows it was and- all worth it. That's what life's about. So yeah. when did you when did you get your education? Like at what point in your life? I stayed out two years, and I cowboyed. Out of high school. I stayed out of high school two years, and that was when I, the story about the bull that going down through there, healing. You know, that's that mm-hmm. was in that within that two years, learned to. Do a lot of stuff with those guys. Worked, did a lot of work. But then my Voag teacher came out to the ranch with a guy, Doctor Klein from the U of A, and they hornswoggled me into going to school. And they just says, "Well, you go down and take courses. This what you want, what you need." So I got down there and I went to the dean of admissions, which I had met. What was that old guy's name? See, he had been he had been a terrible student in school, but he had been a really good FFA student. And he, in fact, he had been star farmer of Arizona, so he had made lots of trips back to Kansas City. So he had been 
the opportunity to meet a lot of the people from U of A, and he was acquainted with a lot of people. So okay. he, he anyway, I, I had to go see the dean of admissions, and I went in there and sat down, and I told him, you know, whatever his name was, I was at the bottom of the class. I'm not eligible to go to school and down here. And he says, Sonny, I make that decision. And that was where I got into college. It was him that put me in there. And then Dr. Myers, I, I was on probation most of the time for the first couple of years. And I'd go into Dean uh, Metcalf's office. I'd have to go up and report to him and all of this. And Anyway, he'd pour us a cup of coffee, and we'd visit, and the they end result... with him. They hung with him. The end result was, he says, I know you get your grades picked up, so good luck. Send me on my way. God. <laughs> he said it finally clicked for him, though, and he ended up having a real high grade point average. Yeah, the, the, where it turned around for me is that I had a chemistry class under Dr. Stelink, and in the lab, we had, in chemistry lab, you had to figure out what the unknown in this solution was. So we went through it, and my lab partner and I would go through it, and we'd get our unknown taken care of. And Dr. Stelink would come in and pour a handful of stuff into the solution and say, now what do you got? So anyway, I got an A out of that class, and I thought, God, if I can make it an A out of Dr. Stelink's class so I can do good, so... And all this time, no, he was commuting to Tucson. His mother was here at the ranch, but his sister was long gone. But he was having to maintain her share in the ranch and work the ranch and go to school. Yeah, I did my ranch work every other day and then went to school every other day. So and that was the same with New Mexico State. Then when he got his BS, he, they convinced him to go on. So he went to New Mexico. And um, went to uh, New Mexico State University. Commuted down there and stayed during the week. Week and then from came, here. Mm -hmm. Wow. And he was working on his master's when he and I met. And we waited but to get married till he got that finished. There was a lot of guys that helped me. There was a lot of the the faculty has changed at the universities. I think it's different. It's not like it used to be. They they yeah. were very helpful, and you know. It wasn't anything to walk into the professor's office and sit down and visit with him just for the fun of it. Old Dr. Pister was quite a character. He had, had animal diseases under him. And he was the kind of guy that there would be uh, foreign students in the class. There'd be Mexican students from Mexico. There'd be Portuguese from Brazil or something else. And anyway, they couldn't understand some of the stuff Dr. Pister was saying in class. So they'd ask him in broken language, English, what about this, that, or another thing. That old fool would end his goddamn lectures in Spanish or Portuguese and never the reality else. So, <laughs> but he, it was all right because Dr. Pister graded by throwing your test down the stairs. And all of the stairs Where were numbered. Landed. Are you serious? <laughs> That's what he said. I don't know. <laughs> But we waited to get married till he finished his master's. And then he decided to go on and get his doctor's well, I got degree. I got All our kids were born by the time he got his doctor's degree. So that we was kind of, the ranch kind of fun because I had a little office in a lab at school. I'd take 
the kids in there, and there was another, Jim Lochner sat in that same lab with us, and he'd be eating an orange and give Lila part of an orange, and she'd suck on it, and then he'd she eat, was a baby. eat the rest of it. So when we had all our kids, by the time, all four girls, by the time he finished his Ph.D. So it's been a long road. Yeah. But it's, so it's two worlds, you know, that's my fortune is to have to have lived in two different worlds the old time world where you rode horseback all the way down to Winkleman and had lunch got the mail and rode horseback up rode through the bombing range and was scared of bombs they had tent houses like things we'd ride horseback through there when there was Limes and spots where they drop their bombs, boy, boy, I tell you, as kids, we really? rode through, yeah, we were scared they're going to, every time we went through there, we listened for airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was really good for the kids, though, I mean, a lot of things got neglected here. We kept it going, mm-hmm. kept it going, especially kept our cows going, and we've been through some really hard times, too, the droughts and bad times, and but it was really good for our kids too because we they went with us to meetings they knew professors <laughs> you know what i mean they that were world renowned professors so it gave them exposure to things that they never would have had otherwise yeah. one time i took kate to an interagency oh. pl- planning meeting with me and they had a us uh, fish and game woman there and she made some comment and kate and her got into it <laughs> Kate was a girl. And anyway, basically told her she was full of it. Lamar and Phil, both renowned doctors, just sat there and let Kate take care of it. <laughs> How old were you? Probably like 13 or 14. <laughs> That's Stupid awesome. Stupid pitsqueak kids. But she took but care of it. It's good. But it's she, good. They, they backed her up on everything she did, said. So. And that was over some woman feeding bears on Catalina's, wasn't it? I think so. It's when that girl got mauled up there. Uh, mm-hmm. So that exposure is sure giving them a rounded background. Yeah. Two different lives. What would you guys say the hardest part about living this lifestyle is? Buying my mother and sister out and putting up with them. But that's not what she's asking. <laughs> yeah. But we're glad. We ended up being the ones who ended up to be the most fortunate. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been hard, a lot of things hard, but we've all had this, been able to have the, our life, you know. Together. But we've got the, the rewards. That's, we have the rewards. That's so the biggest. So I well, can't. What's the hardest, though, of living out here and maintaining our life? What do you think's been the hardest? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Staying up with the times? Or even, yeah, like even. Were the challenges different when you were younger versus what the challenges yes, are Yes, the challenges. Well, this, for an example, I grew up with a kerosene lamp when I was a kid. And my dad read Emio Zola and other books that probably didn't mean anything to us at the time. But that was our lifestyle at that time. And then we finally got a... DC, AC generator, DC generator, and then we got an AC generator, and now the kids have got it so that we're on solar and have lights all of the time. So it's just a progression, Technology. you know. I think the hardest thing, and I think everybody would agree with me, 
we can cope with the problems that you have on a ranch. Even drought. We're going to get through the drought one way or another. Somehow, we're going to do it. We're going to work together. I don't think there's very many challenges that we can't meet somehow. Mm-hmm. Our worst challenge is putting up with people and the things that they do. The public and what they do. Hunters and people out recreating. and We've had a series of fence cuttings. For the last three years, mm-hmm. we've had, what, 30? Something like that. That is somebody maliciously cutting the fences. And I don't mean cutting the fence and driving through. They're walking down a ways where you won't see it, and they're cutting a whole line of fence down to the ground oh. between us and neighbors. And so putting up with that and uh, not being able to understand why people do the things they do. You know, why do they climb up your windmill tower and put gravel down the column pipe? You know, why do they do that? Why do they put a damn camera at your corrals? You know, why do they do that? They all have private property signs in their own yards, but they don't want to heed yours, you know. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest thing for us, I think. Do you think that that is a little bit of, I don't know how to say it, like lack of knowledge on their part? Or do you think that it's like, Empowerment. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think that's what it is. It, I'm empowered to do this. Nobody's going to stop me from doing it. Entitlement. But, but, Entitlement. Yes, but I don't think it's lack of knowledge. I do think there's a little bit of lack of knowledge. I mean, probably people don't understand whenever they run their quads or their side-by-sides up a hillside. Maybe they don't understand that they're going to cause erosion that they're going to make a road that the next guy's going to follow. Maybe they don't quite understand that, but you cannot convince me that they don't know that they should not be doing that. Yeah. They know they shouldn't be cutting locks and going into your pastures. They know they shouldn't be putting gravel down your... That's a deliberate, malicious thing. One time we went over and they had... We have a, a water... A windmill and a water tank over on the west end of the ranch... And they had rammed a pipe through the, what is that, a 4,000-gallon tank? All the water was gone. Gosh. I mean, they do that. That's a malicious thing, and we just can't understand that. Mm-hmm. So it took Kate and I... No consequences. Yeah, there's... A, bu- a bunch of time. You don't know who it was. You know, you don't know who it was. You just, the little little bits of disrespect that you just can't understand. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Like, there's it, no reason just, to just, do that. No. You just don't understand it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that, I don't know about you girls or no, dad, that was but my lip, that was my top. To me, that item. is the hardest. We can cut, we can cope with neighbors' cattle on us. We can cope, we'll get them, you know, we'll. <coughs> the hardest time my rest of my family has is putting up with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not so bad. <laughs> All the time. You get to get away for a while. (laughs) (laughs) But that's that's the hardest. Even over agency, you worry you worry what agencies are gonna do. You worry about politics. Politics is more on our mind than it ever has been. You know, what's going on nationally and internationally. He probably never thought about what was going on internationally when he was a boy growing up you know he remembers his dad and his grandfather listening to 
what was going on in World War Two on yeah. the radio, the big green-eyed monster, he called it. Yeah, there was, my dad had a radio over there in that corner. There was a battery-powered one. And I remember my grandfather, Robinson, sitting in here, and that was whenever the VE day occurred. Just, I remember that. But, but today, you know, you worry what, you worry about the repercussions of all that kind of stuff on us. Yeah. You know? And it does. It has such direct... Re There's so many crazy things that divert off of our basic principles that we grew up with. You know, it's really hard to cope with, I think. It is mm -hmm. for me. Because we grew up with a certain set of standards, things that were right and wrong, and that's the way they were, you know. And things are so whopper-jawed now with people. So it's people that are the biggest yeah. challenge. You guys aren't the first people to say that, that I have talked to. That kind of seems to be the general tone. The thing is yeah. like people tend to be the hardest. That concludes part one of my interview with Walt and Francie Meyer. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for part two coming out in a couple weeks. Mm -hmm.